But we've got a lot to cover today, so I'm going to go ahead and just invite you, if you have his word, go ahead and open up to the Gospel according to Matthew chapter 5. Gospel according to Matthew chapter 5. And if you've been walking with us, we've been going through this thing called the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes are the start of the greatest sermon ever preached. I know that may seem like a very bold statement, but the reason I can say that is because of who preached it. Jesus Christ preached this sermon. It's commonly referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. And he begins it with this list of Beatitudes. You can follow along. I'm going to begin reading um, right there in verse 1 of chapter 5. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is God's word. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you are the word. We thank you that... You are the great I am. That before time began, you knew us. You knew that we'd be gathered here today. And Lord, that's all possible because of what you did for us. So Lord, as we listen to your words, may you use them to transform our hearts into what brings you glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So as I said, over the past few weeks we've been going through this list of beatitudes and we began really by talking about what that word blessed means and if you remember blessed means happy which kind of seems a little weird considering what we just read blessed are the poor in spirit those who mourn you know the meek those who thirst for righteousness happy are these people I mean, if you think about it, this list is extremely countercultural. I mean, who in society says happier people who are poor in spirit, happier people who mourn? You know, I don't know if you've ever been to a funeral. I've unfortunately been to far too many. You know, and I've been down in New Orleans and seen the great funeral dirges. You know, I mean, those people are happy when they're mourning. But outside of that, I don't see that too often. You know, it's more time when we're weeping. We don't relate to that too well. You know, 
So it's countercultural to what we're taught. I mean, being poor in spirit, we're told that we have to face our own spiritual depravity. We have to understand that there is nothing that we can do to ever earn God's favor, that we are born with sin. Then we have to mourn our sin. And not just our sin, as we talked about, but we mourn the sin of the world because we understand that it is that sin, our sin, and the sin of the world that separates us from God. And that creates in us a mourning because we know that we are cut off from God, which leads us to being humble or meek. And we humble ourselves before God. Because we know that there is absolutely nothing we can ever do to be forgiven on our own. We are not perfect people. There is no way for us to ever earn God's favor. So we humble ourselves, knowing that it is God's work, not ours, that has set us free. Which leads us to then thirst after the righteousness of Christ. And we realize that everything that we do must be done for him and through him, or it is no righteousness at all. It is us trying to do things. It's us acting apart from Christ. And anything that we do apart from Christ is sin. You know, we've also talked about how you can't take this list and just itemize it. You can't sit here and pull out one beatitude and say, I'm going to apply this one. The beatitudes are a list that builds on itself. You cannot move to the next one until you have accomplished and surrendered to the one before it. There is no need to mourn sin if you aren't understanding that you are completely spiritually depraved. There is no need to humble yourself before God if you're not mourning what separates you from God. And you're never going to thirst after the things of Christ if you have not humbled yourself to what Christ did for you. We can look at this list of Beatitudes really as a test for Christians. See, they speak to the heart of what a Christian is. And as we're going to begin talking about how a Christian lives. See, if we refuse to acknowledge that we are spiritually powerless without Christ and the sin that separates us from God and separates the world from God, then allow God to continually humble us creating us a thirst for righteousness, we can never hope to have apart from Christ, then we do not have the spirit of Christ in us. And the rest of these beatitudes will just be meaningless. So don't underestimate what Jesus is saying in this beginning of the Sermon of the Mount. He's teaching us what it means to live by faith, teaching us what it means to be a child of God. And it has to begin with understanding the condition of our heart and who we are before God. 
So as we move into today's beatitude, we're transitioning into something different. See, the previous beatitudes deal with our relationship with God and how God sees us. And these next beatitudes are our outpouring of our understanding of who we are in Christ. Follow along again at Matthew 5, 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. When we hear blessed are the merciful, what's that really mean? I mean, we talked about this being a countercultural list, and to be honest, that word mercy, we have belittled and downplayed that word so much that it almost has a very negative connotation. I mean, in our society today, mercy is not something to be desired or sought after. It's a sign of weakness. It's not how we get ahead in life. It's not how we succeed in business. Mercy goes against everything we are taught we need to win. It goes against that killer instinct we're taught that we need to get ahead Or, to be honest, sometimes just to live. Matter of fact, if you've ever seen the original Karate Kid, anybody? Come on. It's an original. It's it's classic. If you haven't, go home and watch it. Um, But in the movie, there's these bad guys. Um, I hate using that term, but, you know, the uh, antagonists in the movie called the Cobra Kai. And... If you remember the Cobra Kai, they had a very interesting motto. Mercy is for the weak. That permeates the whole movie. You know, and as we've discussed previously, it really speaks to that negative connotation that mercy has had. But as we've also discussed, Christians are a peculiar people. Yeah, yeah we are. You know, we are part of the world, but we are not of the world. The things that we believe oftentimes seem countercultural to what the world believes. And there's a very simple explanation for that. Our Lord and Savior was countercultural. I mean, it begins right here. You know, when he says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. He went against the culture. So it just seems kind of obvious that we who follow Jesus Christ, we who are children of God, we who are those peculiar people, would be countercultural ourselves if we're truly following after him. So let's take a look at what it means to be biblically merciful. To begin, a lot of people misunderstand the word mercy. Some actually use grace and mercy almost interchangeably. You know, matter of fact, Paul will use these words in his epistles, grace and mercy to you. However, there is a big difference between grace and mercy. See, grace is God's unmerited favor and forgiveness in regards to sin. His unmerited favor. Mercy is dealing with the consequences and suffering 
of sin. See, mercy is having sympathy for those who are suffering and then acting on that suffering. And God demonstrated this perfectly. In the beginning of the Bible, we read about a garden, the Garden of Eden. And it's here that God created man and woman, Adam and Eve, and he gave them dominion over everything. He said, you're in charge of all the animals. You take care of the garden. I have a rule. You can eat of everything you want. Eat of anything except for this one tree. Well, I don't know how long it took, but one day a serpent came and tricked them, convinced them that they needed to eat of that tree because it was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and the serpent told them that if they ate of this tree, they were going to be just like God. So they did. And due to that, Man has been separated from God ever since. You see, one of the attributes of God is that God is completely holy, which means, in short, God cannot be in the presence of sin. God could have just wiped out Adam and Eve, could have just started over, snapped his fingers, been done, and said, we're starting over. Let's face it, that would have been justice would have been justice for disobeying the one rule that God gave them. However, God is full of grace and mercy. See, God extended unmerited favor on mankind. Adam and Eve didn't do anything to earn God's favor, and no one since, including everyone sitting here today, has ever done anything to earn God's favor. But then God extended mercy. And it's here that we really see God's plan begin to unfold. See, God saw the suffering of mankind. He saw the need for man to be redeemed. And he knew that man couldn't do anything to pay the price. There was nothing that man could do to take care of the penalty of sin. So God took sympathy on us. And he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to come down from heaven, to take on earthly form, to come and live among us, to teach us about the things of heaven and what it truly means to be a child of God. And then he died for our sins. God himself showed mercy. He took on that human form. He took on our sins on the cross He took on your sin, my sin, every person who places their faith in him as Lord and Savior, took their sins and died with them. See, God saw our suffering. He had sympathy for our suffering. And then he acted on that suffering. That is mercy. Let's take a look at another example of mercy. Go ahead and turn over to the gospel according to Luke chapter 10. So if you're in Matthew, go over a couple books. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke. Uh, It's one of the gospel authors. And we're going to be looking at chapter 10. And this is a parable that is probably familiar to you, even if you've never been in a church before. It's a parable called the parable of the good Samaritan. Follow along as I begin reading. It begins actually in uh, verse 30 here. Um, 
Jesus replied and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers, and they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest was going down on that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place, saw him and passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. And he came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them, and he put, them, and he put him on his beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. Jesus asks, Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor of the man who fell into robbers? See, in this parable, we meet somebody who's suffering. We meet a man who was out for a walk and got beaten up and robbed, something that we can very much relate to in our community. And they left him for dead. But thankfully, a priest comes by, or so we think. However, the priest sees the man, sees him laying on the road half dead, and he moves to the other side of the road and keeps on walking so as not to be bothered. But then a Levite comes, and a Levite is another one of the spiritual leaders, so it's going to work out, right? But he sees the man, half dead, laying on the side of the road, and he doesn't want to be bothered. So he moves to the other side and keeps on walking. Now, both of these men may have had sympathy for the man who was injured, but they didn't do anything about it. They didn't show mercy. Thankfully, a third person comes by. And this person is a Samaritan. For those who don't know... Jews and Samaritans really do not like each other. It goes all the way back to the beginning of the Bible. They do not get along. They don't talk to each other. They don't live, you know, live together. They've got their own sections. They don't eat together. They don't worship together. They don't do anything together. Think of it as kind of like a Ravens fan and a Steelers fan. So we could probably put this. A Steelers fan was laying left dead in the road. And the Patriots fan comes by and sees him and keeps on walking. And the Redskins fan comes by and sees him and keeps on walking. But the Raven fan. <laughs> but that's what we have here. We have somebody who should not have stopped, who went against cultural norms, who wouldn't have even talked to this person in different setting, stop. He tends to the man's wounds. He uses oil and wine, which are used as antiseptics, and then puts him up on his, probably his donkey, and takes him into town. And it doesn't stop there. He doesn't just drop him off somewhere and say, hey, found this guy on the road. You know, you want to take care of him or something? You know, he didn't drop him off a patient first. 
you know, he took him to an inn. And he got him set up in a room and went to the innkeeper and he said, hey, here's some money. You know, this should cover a few nights. And the guy's still not better. Don't worry, I'll be back through. I'm passing back through and I'll take care of it. So he took care of his wounds. He provided for his needs. He showed mercy. See, mercy is seeing a need, having sympathy for the person, and then doing something about it. So let's take a look at the second part of this verse. For they will be shown mercy. Well, many people read this wrong. They read this as, if I show mercy to others, then God is going to show mercy on me. Well, that is a very, very dangerous way to read this. First reason is is it suggests that you have to do something to earn God's favor, mercy, or forgiveness. It also suggests that you can do something to earn God's favor. Romans 3.28 says, For we conclude that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. You see, God's forgiveness, grace, and mercy is a gift. It is not earned. It cannot be earned. It is not a work. It is a gift. And the reason being is you can never be perfectly merciful on your own. It can't be done. I mean, think about it. If we could actually do something perfectly, would we have even fallen away in the garden? We had one rule. Don't eat from that tree. We couldn't even do that. So what makes us think that we can do anything perfectly? You know, if we could do something perfectly, we wouldn't have needed the sacrificial system that we see in the Old Testament. We wouldn't have had to have brought lambs to be sacrificed for our sins. You know, and if we could do something perfectly, God never would have had to have come down from heaven and died for you and me. See, we can never, ever be perfectly merciful. We can never be perfect in anything. So how do we reconcile this verse and understand what Jesus is teaching? See, this really ties back to what we began with today, that the Beatitudes are a whole, not verses to be picked out and sought to be applied. They are a whole. And we need to begin by understanding that we are poor in spirit, that we have no righteousness of our own and can never hope to earn God's righteousness. See, in that understanding, we then mourn, as we talked about, because of the sin within us that is separating us from God. And in our meekness, we humble ourselves and understand who we are before God and allow God to transform our hearts even when it hurts, even when he shows us things that we'd rather not have to deal with because we have come to understand and trust in God completely. Then we thirst 
after the things of Christ, knowing who we are in Christ, and seeking moment by moment to allow his spirit to convict us, to transform us. And we thirst for the things of God, forsaking the desires of this world. And when we understand all of this, then we are able to show mercy. Because we understand that we have been shown mercy. We understand what God did for us on the cross. And we understand what God does for us each and every day. Now there is a negative when you're looking to apply mercy, to show mercy to others. We need to know that. We need to understand that mercy comes with a cost. I mean, let's face it. When Jesus was dying on the cross, there was a price to be paid. When he was saying, Father, forgive them, there was a price to be paid. In the book of Acts, when Stephen was being stoned to death for proclaiming the gospel, he sat and he asked, God, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. There was a price to be paid. Now, while I can guarantee that you will never be hung on a cross for the forgiveness of sin, and you probably will not be stoned to death for proclaiming the gospel, gospel, mercy still has a cost for us. And to be honest, that cost may be just as simple as surrendering your rights to revenge. Maybe someone has wronged you. Maybe someone disagrees with you about politics or about religion or sports. Instead of taking to social media and blowing them up or going behind their backs and gossiping and talking ill about them, Show mercy. Pray for them. Mercy may cost you time. Because believe it or not, most people do not need your help when it is the most convenient to you. It's just the way it is. It never works out that, oh, hey, wow, you had that car accident? Wow, that's amazing. I just got off work. Oh, hey, you need food? Oh, that's great. I'm off today. I'll run it over to you. It just doesn't work that way. You may have to miss a ball game or a dinner. You may have to skip out on something that you were wanting to do to show mercy to someone because it's going to cost time. You know, one of the great ways that you can show mercy is right back there on Sunday nights. You know, on Sunday nights, for those who don't know, we help to provide for both the physical and the spiritual needs of our homeless community through a ministry we call Lighthouse Cafe. And it takes place right back there every Sunday night. We have a sit-down dinner here for those who would otherwise go without. And if you're looking to show mercy, I'd ask you to prayerfully consider serving. There's a couple ways you can do that. First is just show up and put food on a plate. It's not hard. It's really simple. 
you just scoop food and put it on a plate cafeteria style. And then you get to eat as well. So it's not a bad deal. Second way is to cook. You know, we need people who can prepare meals to bless those in need. The third requires a little bit more cost of time. Sit down at the tables with the people. Talk to them. Get to know them. Hear their stories. It's just because a person is homeless. For whatever reason, it does not matter. It does not make them less than you in God's eyes. And it should not make them less than you in your eyes. So get to know them. Get to know their story. And see how you might be able to meet a need beyond Sunday night. Because as we just talked about, it isn't just going to be when it's convenient. Another way is mercy may cost you money. Helping people usually involves more than just time. And we live in a community with a lot of need. We have a lot of brothers and sisters out there that are suffering, that are homeless, that are struggling financially. You have a choice. You can be like the priest or the Levite, or you can be like the Samaritan, and you can do something about it. One way you can help out is to help support our missions team. For those who don't know, we have a missions ministry here that goes towards helping to provide for the financial and physical needs of those people in need. Even some of the people in this room have benefited from that. And 10% of everything that is given to this church on Sundays goes to that mission. It goes towards helping those people in need. So prayerfully consider that each week when you're giving of your tithes and offerings, that part of that money is going to go directly back out into the community to be a blessing to those in need. And finally, mercy may mean that you get hurt. It's just a fact of life. Not everyone you try to help will appreciate it. Not everybody that you help is going to say thank you. To be honest with you, some people will take advantage of you. Or they'll throw a temper tantrum if you don't help them the way they want to be helped. And all of these can be used by the enemy to try to stop you from showing mercy to people. See, we can get this attitude of they deserve it. The enemy's great at trying to convince us of that. Or the enemy can try to convince us of, I don't want to get burned again. But when that happens, remember the last time you sinned against God and ask yourself, how many times has God shown me mercy? Because remember, mercy is seeing a need, having sympathy for the person, and then doing something about it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, merciful 
God. Lord, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your great mercy. Lord, as we discussed this morning, you could have just as easily wiped us out and started over. But Lord, you are full of grace and mercy. And Lord, you tell us to do the same. You tell us to be merciful. So Lord, I pray that you will convict our hearts, that you will give us a thirst for your righteousness as we realize who we are in you so that we can live from you and allow you to live through us. So Lord, may we show mercy as we have been shown mercy by you. In Christ's name, amen. Maybe something you heard today convicted you. Maybe you realize that I haven't been merciful. You know, it's never too late. Jesus was being crucified. There was a guy on each side of him being crucified. One of them realized that they had messed up. And he told Jesus, forgive me. Jesus said, today you will be with me in heaven. It's never too late to come to Christ. It's never too late to turn your life over to Christ and to allow God to begin to work that process of bringing you to the point where you can't do anything on your own, that you have to turn it all over to him and allow him to do the heart transformation. If you've never given your life to Christ, I'd love to talk to you about that come forward. And if you've been here and you want to come and be part of this journey to show mercy to those around us, to show the love of Christ to this community, we'd love to have you as a member of this church family. So I'd invite you to come. But wherever you are, don't leave out of here today unchanged. Allow God's word to permeate your heart, to convict you, to go and live differently, to live counterculturally to be that peculiar person as Christ was. Let's rise and sing.